0: Well, I'd like to thank you for a couple of things. First, thank you for uh, your heart for church planting. And I was asking uh, the guys at dinner a little bit about the two church plants there in Arizona. And just, it's encouraging and exciting to hear how they're thriving and how the Lord is blessing there. And, uh, of course, you guys have had a heart for church planting. And that actually has translated all the way to Durham, North Carolina, with, uh, with just Brother Prater coming over there and talking to our church about that. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But thank you for your passion to reach souls Uh, in America, in the world, uh, and and even right here in Liberal. And like he just said, uh, don't neglect your city here. I think the population is about 19,000 people, but I I can pretty much guarantee you that all 19,000 probably do not know Jesus as their Savior. And as I said earlier, uh, maybe they just need someone to tell them about the seriousness of their condition. And I think it needs to be spoken in in love and in grace, Uh, but people do need to know the truth. Uh, And maybe God has someone for you right here in Liberal uh, in the small town of Liberal, uh, to, to tell someone about Jesus. So thank you for your, your heart for people, your passion for church planning. Uh, secondly, thank you for what you did for Autumn. Uh, that's a pretty cool thing. As a matter of fact, it's, it's pretty amazing. It really is. Uh, just having her come up and allowing her to give her testimony, that doesn't happen everywhere. Uh, and, and honestly, deputation has not really been too challenging for us. We've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed it a lot. We've, we've been able to meet a lot of wonderful people uh, but I can assure you that the pastor's wives and the missionaries' wives and the church planter's wives that come through here and you do that, that's a huge blessing to them. A huge blessing to them. Uh, and I was recording on my phone, but honestly, it was just lasting for too long. I need to save some of my memory. You guys are lined up all the way to the back. I mean, that was amazing. That was really, really neat. So thank you, uh, ladies, for your love. For for, for pastors' wives and missionary wives and church planner wives. And then, thirdly, thank you for not doing that with the men because all of us hugging each other would have just been really weird, okay? <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for limiting that just to the ladies there. So. But really, it is a privilege for us to be here tonight. And it's pretty ironic that we're here at Fellowship Baptist and Liberal. And it's pretty ironic that Brother Prater is here because it was just a year ago, August 25th, 2019, when he came to Fellowship Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina. To kind of give you a backstory about my dad and Fellowship Baptist Church, it's a 64-year-old church, and uh, they have sent some missionaries out, they have sent uh, some church planners out, but they've never had somebody who grew up in their ministry to be organically be sent out by their church. And so church planning was really a new concept for, for myself, for my dad, and for our church there. And so whenever I told my dad about doing this, about going to start a church in California— uh, we began doing a little bit of research, reaching out to some guys. My dad had contacted a few pastors, and one of the pastors was Pastor Bill Prater at the time. And, uh, and, and I don't even know how it all happened, but he asked, he invited Brother Prater to come out and do our sending out service, our last service before he started full-time deputation on September 1st. And uh, again, to give you the backstory, our church was not familiar with church planning. Um, and obviously you guys are somewhat familiar with it. If you're newer here and if you haven't been here since you sent out the last church planner. Uh, just look at it this way. A church planner doesn't have a beautiful facility like you guys have. And we understand that God can provide that. We really do. And we're believing that he'll do something great for us. But to be honest with you, we're planning on just renting something out. And in that area, it's going to cost us about $4,000 a month. And that's only for a few hours on a Sunday morning. So you're talking about $1,000 a week just for a couple of hours, not something we can access all week long. Uh, we don't have chairs. We don't have uh, all of the nice facilities that you have. We don't have people like you have. Uh, and so this was a new concept for us. And so, uh, and so our people didn't really understand all that either. So my dad invited Pastor Prater to come out and just challenge our people. He talked to our deacons. He talked to me personally. He talked to my dad. And he spoke, I believe it was three different times that Sunday, to our church family. And just challenged us about church planning, about the need for it right here in America. And that's not to dismiss the need all around the world. As I mentioned earlier, we realize there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And if that doesn't burden you, then I don't know what will. If you, if, you, if you think about the fact that there are people in our world today that don't have one single verse of Scripture, and many of us have multiple copies, if that doesn't burden you, I don't know what will. But if you don't look at your home country and see the problems that we have in our country today, and if that doesn't burden you, I don't know what will. But obviously it does burden you. That's why you've sent people out. But when it comes to church planning, our people didn't know much about it. And so Brother Prater came in and just challenged us. Uh, and really developed a heart for church planning at Fellowship Baptist Church there in Durham, North Carolina. My dad's a pastor. I'm his son, obviously. And so he was kind of in a tough position, what they could do for us financially. Uh, We need a lot of money to go to the Bay Area and start a church. As I mentioned, $4,000 just to rent something. That's not cost of living for us, and that's not the additional cost on top of renting something. So we needed to raise a lot of money. And so it was pretty much understood that Fellowship in Durham wasn't going to be able to support us 100%. But he wanted to do a large amount of that, a large percentage of that. But me being his son, he was kind of in a tough position. You know, he didn't want to favor his son. Uh, and so what he did was he just opened it up for individuals to commit. The church set an amount that the church would donate or give to the church plant fund. But then everything else on top of that was on the individual. And so Brother Prater did this, the combined Sunday school. He did Sunday morning service, and then he did the Sunday evening service. And the Sunday evening service is when we ever, whenever we pass out the commitment cards, And When it was all said and done that night, people had committed seventeen hundred dollars a month to give to the church plant, and we left. And we left the service that night, just amazed at what God had done. But you know what? It didn't stop there. And Brother Prater was out in California a couple months after that, and we happened to be out there too, and. We were sitting beside each other in the service, and I leaned over and told him, I said, I think it was 1700 that was committed that night. Well, people had watched live streams. Some people had just not turned their commitment card in. When it was all said and done, individuals committed $3,000 a month to get to the church plant. And we give God all the glory for that. He deserves all of it. But you know what? Brother Prater played an integral part in that night. He really did and just his experience and your passion for church planting and sending the two, churches, the two church planners out to Arizona, your passion and your excitement and, and, and being used by God financially and prayerfully, that has translated all over the country. And I have no doubt other, other pastors have called Brother Prater to ask him his experience and his advice and his wisdom. But if anything else, what you guys have done here in liberal Kansas and Pastor Prater being used by God and being willing to be used by God has played a huge part in Fellowship Baptist Church in Durham getting on board financially and prayerfully to start this church in California, uh, and we are just so so excited about it. Uh, and I told I told the guys at dinner we honestly were nervous about it because we don't have any church planting experience. We've never helped in a church plant, uh, but other church planners and other pastors have been super helpful. But you know what? We have seen God every single step of the way, and we're just asking that He'll show us. He'll continue to show us because. As he just said, God deserves all the glory for this. We believe that this church plant is going to be successful. And when it is, we're going to give him all the glory for it. Because without his help, I promise you, it will fail. And it will fail big time. And we obviously don't want that. But that's why we're praying to God every single day and asking him for his wisdom, for his guidance. Uh, and he has shown that every step of the way. And we're so excited to be doing this, to be following God's calling on our lives, uh, and to be also be here tonight at Fellowship Baptist in Liberal, Kansas, and yes, it was a 13-hour detour to get here, okay? <laughs> this month, I was telling Brother Prater before the service, this month is a crazy month for us. We drive about 5,000 miles this month alone. It's our craziest month that we've had on deputation that we will have before we're done, but we drive 5,000 miles. We had a meeting in Sunday down in, uh, in Alabama, Dixon's Mills, Alabama. I promise you, you've never heard of it because it's not even a city. It's literally just a zip code, Okay. So you guys think you're in the middle of nowhere, Dixon Mil- Dixon's Mills is way out in the middle of nowhere, okay? So uh, we came from Alabama, dropped, we went to, to our, uh, Kansas City, dropped our motor home off, I'll actually tell you about that in the sermon t- in a few minutes, uh, and then we came here, and then we we're in Nebraska on Sunday, so it's, just, it's a crazy ride for us, but we have enjoyed every single moment of it, uh, and I'm glad we made the trip out here. Honestly, just to see what you did for Autumn, that, w- that made the trip well worth it, so thank you for doing that. Um, but really we have enjoyed deputation. We don't have any kids, so we do realize it gives us a little flexibility. And so one thing that we have taken advantage of is just seeing some cool things, okay? Again, we realize Dorothy's house may not be that cool, but we're still going to go check it out. We're still going to check it out because we're like two minutes away from it, all right? Uh, And so what we do on deputation, uh, we do base where we go see around our meetings, okay? We don't base our meetings around where we want to go see, all right? Uh, So we get our meeting scheduled, and then we see where we're going, and then we decide, hey, let's go see some cool things. And again, having no children gives us a lot of freedom and a lot of flexibility to do that. Well, one of the cool things that we've seen on this deputation path was the New River Gorge Bridge in West Virginia. Has anybody ever seen that bridge? Okay, on the screen. So this is near Beckley, West Virginia, all right? It's called the New River Gorge Bridge, Uh, and I'm going to give you some, some facts about this bridge. If you could go ahead and go to the next picture as well. Uh, The New River Gorge Bridge is the longest single arch bridge in the Western Hemisphere. It's actually the third longest single arch bridge in the world. It's the third highest bridge in the United States, 13th in the world. And it's the second highest vehicle carrying bridge in the U.S., 5th in the world. And I don't think you can see it on the picture, but right in the center of that bridge is a big semi-truck. Okay, And that just kind of gives you the, the perspective of just how tall this bridge really is. There's a pretty cool event they do once a year in October, and it's called Bridge Day. Bridge Day is where they come to commemorate just the bridge being built, but it's a huge festival, and they have approximately 100,000 visitors who come to the bridge on Bridge Day every year. Uh, They have food trucks, all kinds of things happening, but the biggest highlight is there's a lot of people who do base jumping, okay, and so I think the numbers are about 350 different base jumpers jump off of this bridge every single year at Bridge Day Uh, there in October and so I I don't know about you but I would I would never ever do that okay I would never ever do that I don't know if we have any daredevils in the room tonight uh, but honestly I don't know what it is as a teenager I wasn't scared of heights now and and I'm only 28 but I'm like I'm terrified of heights now so I would never ever do anything like that but you know what I, I have I have I found this picture and it comes from a reliable source that there is somebody in this room tonight that would that would do this jump and so if you could show me that next picture there you have it there you have it. And you, you, you've probably you've probably been wondering you've probably been wondering what Pastor Prater has been doing since he since he's now traveling around the country and he's preaching in seminars and in conferences. But really, what what he has done is he has embraced his inner daredevil. And so, I, I will admit though, my reliable source is uh is Google and Photoshop. Okay, uh, so. Uh, but if you, if you want to ask Brother Prater about this, uh, if you believe this to be true, just see him about it, and he can deny it or, uh, or confirm that. So uh, you can turn that off if you would. But Bridge Day, it's an exciting—or you can leave it. it. Listen, if you leave that, nobody's going to listen to my message, okay? If you leave that, not one person will hear what I have to say, okay? Uh, and so you can take it down, though. That'd be great. Maybe we'll put it up later. Uh, but you guys can keep that for future reference, all right? So you can use that whenever you want, Tyler, all right? Uh, but the bridge is a very, very, very tall bridge, okay? And I'm going to give you some stats about the bridge here in a few minutes. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's massive. It's magnificent, especially when you're down there from that picture I took where you can barely see the semi-truck going across. It looks like a little toy truck. Uh, it's just a massive, massive bridge. Well, you know what? When you're, looking, when you're looking from one side of the valley there and you're looking down and looking over You know what? If you had to cross over that gorge, if you had to cross over the new river without that bridge, it would be very, very difficult. It would be very, very challenging. It would be very time consuming. Uh, we, We like to hike some. We did a little bit of hiking there, but we didn't hike that whole thing. But I would imagine it would take several hours to hike down and back up. But because that bridge is there, it makes things more efficient, right? It allows a quicker passage to the other side. If you would, turn your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9. And we're going to look at two verses tonight, and we are going to flip back and forth between some other chapters in the book of Acts. But Acts chapter number 9. And let's look at verses 26 and 27. Acts 9 verse 26 says this, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem... He essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. The title of my message tonight is this, a bridge to the family, a bridge to the family. Now, I do want to clarify before I get into the message. I'm not talking about the family of God, because I think we all would agree that in order to be a part of the family of God, you don't have to be a part of a local church. You can get saved without having a church membership. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth what Jesus did, and also you need to join a church. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are a child of God. And I'm not belittling the, the, the importance of church membership. I think that's also throughout Scripture. But tonight I'm not talking about being a part of the family of God. I'm not saying a bridge to the family of God. I'm talking about the family dynamic that comes with being a part of a local church. If you would, turn your book, to, to your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 tonight. Acts chapter number 2. And you can hold your place there in Acts 9 because we're going to come back to that. Acts chapter 2. And let's look at verses 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The title of the message is A Bridge to the Family. And I'm talking about the family aspect that comes with being a part of the local church. Some of you, when you're referring to the church that you attend, maybe to a loved one or a neighbor or a coworker, you may say, yes, my church family. And I thought it was interesting. I was looking at your website earlier today, and your website is fellowshipfamily.org. And so that's what I'm talking about tonight is is the family aspect that comes with being a part of the local body. The bond that you have with other believers here at Fellowship Baptist Church. A bridge to the family. Number one is this, and I just have three points for you tonight. Number one is this, the desire to be on the other side. The desire to be on the other side. If you would flip back to Acts chapter 9 and look at verse 26. And we're going to read the first part here. It says this, And when Saul, now we know his name was changed to Paul. We know him as Paul. So tonight, even if we're reading his name as Saul, I'm going to refer to him as Paul. But 26 says this, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. If you would flip over to Acts chapter 8 and look at verses 1 through 4. We're going to learn a little bit about Paul tonight as we're talking about the desire to be on the other side. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 7 verse 58 introduces us to Paul, again known as Saul at the time, but this is where Stephen was stoned to death, and Stephen's clothes were laid at Paul's feet. That's where we first learn about Saul here. Acts chapter 8 tells us this, and Saul was consenting, it means that basically he approved, he was okay with, he was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen's death, and at the time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. I want to pause here and just touch on this for just a moment because we're living in a day and age here in America where a lot of us feel like our freedom to worship is trying to be taken away. And I believe in some ways that it is. But can we just pause for a moment and just be thankful that this isn't happening to us? Again, I mentioned California, and man, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster of a ride for them, saying they can do this, they can't do this, they can't do this, and they can't do this. And again, it does feel like here, here in America today that, yes, our freedom to worship, there's an attempt to take it away. But you know what? I don't believe anybody has had anybody come into their house because they're a Christian throw them into prison. So can we just pause for a moment and be thankful that we still live in a country where we can worship him freely, Amen. if anything, inside our own homes? Amen. Because in these days, that wasn't allowed. It says Paul went into their home, took them out, and committed them to prison. And did you know that it's happening all over the world today? There are people that are being beheaded for their Christianity. So let's be thankful the freedom that we, for the freedom that we do have to worship him freely. Verse four says this, therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word, talking about the apostles. Now flip over to Acts chapter nine, verse one. So we saw a little bit about about Saul there, about Paul there. Number one says this, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. And listen to this, this is very interesting, and desired of him letters to Damascus, the synagogues, that if he found any of this way or the way, Jesus' way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So not only was trying to uh, d- destroy Christianity there in Jerusalem and in the surrounding cities, that wasn't enough for Paul. He literally went to the, to the, to the, to the, to the high priest and said, listen, can I, can I go to Damascus? By the way, Damascus was 135 miles away from there. He wasn't content with what had already happened in, in Jerusalem and cities surrounding that. He said, I want to go even further and destroy Christianity. I want to stop these people. That's what we see in verse verse 2 there. Verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. The next few verses talk about his conversion, and many of us are familiar with that story. Verses 8 and 9 tell us that uh, even though he was blind, they, they still went to Damascus. Verses 10 through 16 talks about, and I'm skipping some of this for sake of time, but Ananias was given a vision from the Lord and the Lord told him, he said, go meet this man named Saul. And Ananias had his, was hesitant, right? Because he knew about Saul. He was afraid of him. But he went nonetheless. Now we're going to pick back up in verse number 17 here. And I'm going to read it. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost." And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received sight forwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. I thought that was very, very interesting. He started his journey to Damascus to destroy the disciples. And here he is, sitting with them, talking to them. It probably was a little awkward for him, right? Just t- talking to the guys that he was trying to put in prison, or that he was trying to kill. It would be a little awkward if, if, if that were me. Verse 20, verse 20 says this, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, and he is the Son of God, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound as the chief priests? And it goes on, but this says in verse 23, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. And the verses go on, but basically Saul escaped from there. So Saul went to Damascus to basically bring the Jews or the Christians back to Jerusalem to put them in prison. All of this happened, and then the Jews turned against Paul. And so what did he do? He escaped, and it says he went down to Jerusalem. So number one is this, the desire to be on the other side. Look at verse 26 again, if you would. It says this, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he assayed, or, or he tried, he attempted to join the disciples. You know what? He stepped out of his comfort zone he stepped out of his comfort zone. Jerusalem was the the headquarter. It was the hub. There's no doubt that there were wives who watched Paul as as he allowed the execution of their husbands. There's no doubt that there were children there in Jerusalem that had watched as Paul delivered their parents into prison. Many things had been done there in Jerusalem to the Christians, and Paul was at the center of it. And instead of leaving Damascus and just going somewhere else, he went back to where it all started. He stepped out of his comfort zone. Did you know that sometimes when an unsaved person, or even maybe somebody who's accepted Christ, who isn't used to church, when they come visit Fellowship Baptist Church, in many cases, they're stepping out of their comfort zone. They don't know what church is like. Maybe they've never been to church in their life. And it can be an uncomfortable thing for them. They can be stepping out of their comfort zone just like Paul was here in Jerusalem. He was carrying some heavy baggage. It doesn't say that he just joined the disciples, right? It says that he essayed to, he tried to. Okay, he didn't force himself on there. He attempted to join the disciples. You know, people are going to come to Fellowship Baptist here in Liberal and they're going to have some heavy baggage. Many of you maybe have a past where you carry some heavy baggage. And you know what? A lot of times somebody's going to come here They're going to be stepping out of their comfort zone. They're going to be carrying some heavy baggage. But you know what? Maybe their desire is just to be a part of the family of Fellowship Baptist Church. Paul here, I'm telling you, he was out of his comfort zone. He wasn't last time he was in Jerusalem. He was like the the head of it. But now he's going back to where he had persecuted Christians. He was certainly out of his comfort zone. He certainly had some heavy baggage, but he just wanted to be accepted. It says there he wanted to join. That means unite. You know, people in our world today are looking for acceptance. They're looking for hope. And I sure hope that over the last six months, Fellowship Baptist Church and Liberal has been a place of hope for people. Because we're living in a world today where there's not a lot of hope. There's tons of uncertainty. There's, there's much doubt. There's a lot of wonder if God even exists. And I sure hope that the people of Fellowship Baptist Church and Liberal... Have shown people that there is hope. There is a God, and He loves them, and He accepts them. Paul tried to join the other side, he tried to cross over. Number two is this the difficulty of getting to the other side. Look at the second part of verse 26, if you would. It says this, but they were all afraid of Him. Well, duh, I probably would have been too. They were all afraid of Him and believed not that He was a disciple. The New River Gorge Bridge, the height of it is 876 feet. The length of it is 3,030 feet. That's a long ways down and that's a long ways over. You can always hike it, but that's a difficult hike. Through the trees, through the the woods, through the grass, over the river. There would be some difficulty of trying to get to the other side without that bridge. You know what? Paul experienced some difficulty here. It says they were afraid. You know what? They didn't like what they saw. He probably did not look just like them. As Autumn mentioned, we're going to be dealing with a lot of people. And we do believe that God's going to send some seasoned Christian people our way. But again, our priority is to reach the unchurched people. I mentioned it's the most unchurched region in America. We want to help change that fact. We want to reach the unchurched people. No, they're not going to look just like us. You know, someone who comes into into these doors, maybe this Sunday morning, and they've never been in church. Maybe they have. Maybe it's been years, though. And they're not dressed just like you dress. They don't look just like you, like you look. You know what? It can be a difficult challenge for them. You know, we, we drove across that bridge. Again, I said we hiked some of it, but we hiked, uh, what, like 10% of it, and then we turned around and went back. Right, because we wanted to get the other side, but we knew it would be a lot faster just taking the bridge, driving our car. But there was difficulty here from Paul. You see, they had no regard for the interior. They only focused on the exterior. We have a, a motorhome. We didn't bring it with us to Liberal because this was a 13-hour detour. But, and it was actually cheaper just to get a hotel room than it was to spend. We literally get 8 to 10 miles per gallon in that motorhome. Okay? So it was cheaper to get a motel room and drive our car than it was to bring our motorhome. The story behind the motorhome, I'm going to be very brief, but it's in 1999. It belonged to Autumn's grandparents. They passed away before they could put a lot of miles on it. And so uh, it was just kind of sitting there, and it belonged to her uncle. It was in his name. Well, her mom reached out to Autumn's uncle and just said, would you be willing to let them use this on deputation? He said, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Her parents invested a couple thousand dollars just to getting things tuned up. Well, we started all the way from Lancaster, California, to drive it back to the East Coast because most of our meetings started out there, okay? Well, to be honest with you, whenever whenever Autumn's Autumn's mom sent us a picture of the motorhome, it was like a gloomy day, it was cloudy, it, it, it hadn't been shined or anything, it was just, there wasn't any rust, it just it needed to be buffed, motorhome needed to be buffed out and, and waxed a little bit, the hubcaps were missing, and so she sent this picture, and honestly, we were like, wow, thanks, mom, you know? <laughs> I and mean, we were excited about the idea of having a motor home because you know we wouldn't have to spend all the money on hotels we wouldn't have to stay in homes sometimes creepy homes okay we wouldn't have to stay in all profit's chambers it was going to be our place right we didn't have to live out of suitcases so we were excited about it and then we saw the picture and we're like oh man maybe we should do the profit's chambers in the in the in the homes and the hotels but we went out to lancaster and got it and and really it turned out great i mean we we waxed the outside of it we found the hubcaps they were actually inside uh, that picture, like I said, it was just a gloomy day, so it didn't help. Uh, it didn't help the look of the motorhome, but it looks really good now on the outside, but it's still pretty dated, okay? It's still pretty dated, and uh, if we pulled onto the church property today with our motorhome, you probably would have pulled up and been like, who in the world is that? Because the exterior is a little dated, and we got the, we got the motorhome, and the inside, it was dated as well, but You know what? Autumn is really, really good at, like, transforming things. She loves to decorate. She wants to change her decorations once a week, okay? I guess it's a girl thing, but she loves to decorate it, and she's really good at it. So we transform the inside. So I actually have a picture for you tonight to show you. Uh, So the top is, uh, I don't know if you can see it super well, but we basically repainted everything. Uh, We we actually changed the flooring out, and the bottom picture is the the after, okay? Top before, bottom after. Uh, We changed the flooring out, but there was a complete transformation in that thing, and honestly, it looks really good on the inside. But when you see that thing from the outside, honestly, you would never think that it looks like the bottom picture on the inside. Right? Because we're only looking at the exterior, not the interior. You know, when the disciples looked at, uh, by the way, flip to the next picture if you would. This was the other day, and we uh, we stated a Cracker Barrel. Okay, so that's it from the outside. I know I give it a hard time. It's really not that bad. We actually really love it. But uh, the other motorhome you see over there, this is at a Cracker Barrel. Sometimes we do what's, what's called dry camping, and, and most Cracker Barrels allow it. And so we were dry camping at a Cracker Barrel uh, the other day, and this motorhome pulls up. That's a Tiffin motorhome. Okay? Those things go for like $350,000. Right? So you can just imagine what we were like when that thing pulled up next to us <laughs> there in the Cracker Barrel parking lot. You know? But when you look at that, you would imagine the inside of that Tiffin motorhome is just beautiful, and it is. It's a luxury motorhome. But when you look at ours, you're thinking, man, I don't know if I want to see the inside of that. But that's how we are. We're quick to judge the exterior. And you know what the disciples did here when Paul tried to join them? It says they were afraid of him. And I think part of that was because of what he had done earlier in Jerusalem. But it says they didn't believe what had happened to him. Right? Because it tells us that as soon as that, that, that God saved him, he began preaching there in Damascus. But you know what? The disciples in Jerusalem, they didn't believe him. They were only focused on the exterior here. Now, I want to throw this in there, too. Consider the interior, even if the exterior looks good. I'll say that again. Consider the interior, even if the exterior looks good. Yes, if somebody comes through your doors here at Fellowship, and they look more like the Lazy Days rather than the Tiffin, they'll be quick to judge them and think, I don't know if God can do anything with that. But at the same time, just because that Tiffin looks beautiful, it doesn't mean that everything's good on the inside. And we see that in 2 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel, Samuel. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel, whenever Samuel was told to find the next king of Israel. And what did he do? He went and he found and he said, well, look at Eliab, the oldest son. Look at Eliab. What did God say? I'm going to read the verse for you. He says this, and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him, this guy Eliab. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I said they had no regard for the interior. They only focused on the exterior. But this was the difficulty of getting to the other side. Number one, Paul had a desire to get to the other side. Number two, there was difficulty to get to the other side. There were challenges. Number three, my final point tonight is this. The assistance to get to the other side. The assistance to get to the other side. Look at verse 27 if you would, and you can take that picture down. Verse 27 says this, "...but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus." Just a few things about Barnabas. Acts 4.36 tells us that his name means the son of consolation or encouragement. Acts 4.37 says that he sold his land and used the money to further the gospel. Acts 11.22-26 through 26 tells us that he was willing to do whatever was necessary to reach more people for Christ. He had a willing spirit. He was an encourager. And it's exactly what Paul needed here in Jerusalem. Paul was having some difficulty getting to their side. He was having some difficulty joining the family of those disciples, being a part of them, uniting with them. But you know what? Barnabas was there. and he, he helped to facilitate Paul into that family. You know what? He knew exactly what the outsider needed it says. He took him and brought him. Obviously, the apostles here had some, some authority. and Paul knew or I'm sorry, Barnabas knew that if, if he would take him to the apostles and convince them that God had changed his life, then he could also convince the disciples who didn't believe. Some of you have been in positions where you know exactly what someone else needs. Some people come through these doors with heavy baggage and you've been there. And you know exactly what they need. No, maybe you don't know all the Bible verses. Maybe you're not asked to teach a class. But anybody can do what Barnabas did. Anybody can assist someone to get to the other side. And some of you have a background where people look at it and and they think that you don't have any ability to help anyone. Maybe you've even wondered that. Look at my past. I don't come from a Christian home. I don't come from a home with two parents. I don't come from a wealthy family. I can't be used. Well, I promise you with that mindset, you never will be used. Understand that anybody can do what Barnabas did. Anybody can do what Barnabas did. And some of you know exactly what they need. He confirmed the transformation, as we saw there in the verse 27. He basically told Paul's testimony to the apostles. And that's a good way to to help somebody join the family here at Fellowship. Just some practical tips. Number one is this. Ask a new believer to share their testimony with you. Ask them to write it down. It gets them to think about it. When they tell you their testimony, be excited about it. Get pumped up about it. And thirdly, tell others about it. I promise you that's the quickest way to to facilitate that relationship with a Paul, with a new believer, is to tell others about their testimony, how the Lord has worked in their life. Number three, the assistance to get to the other side. In conclusion tonight, I just want to give you three takeaways. The first is this the bridge needs to be built by someone on the other side. I said earlier that he tried, the word is a said, he tried to join the, the disciples. He couldn't force himself into that. Somebody on the other side needed to help him get to the other side. Somebody who had been where he he was. Somebody who knew the bridge. Somebody needed to be that bridge. The bridge needs to be built by somebody on the other side. The other side is you. It's the family here at Fellowship Baptist Church. It's you looking at an unsaved world right here in Liberal and saying, Listen. I know where you're at. I've been there. And even if you, even if you had, maybe you grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a pastor's home. I didn't, some of you ha- grew up in a different lifestyle than I did. But you know what? Jesus never changes and the message never changes. And every single one of us can go out there and tell someone, listen, you're welcome in this family. You're welcome in this family. Number two, second takeaway and we're coming down to the home stretch here, the bridge should lead to something attractive, okay? Now, I want to clarify here, I'm not talking about attracting people by looking like the world, okay? I'm talking about being attractive because you have what people want. You have the love and the peace and the joy and the hope that only comes with knowing Jesus Christ is your savior. I'm talking being attractive in that way. Some people, maybe they see a bridge, but they see what's on the other side and they want nothing to do with it. How many Christians over the last six months have dealt with everything with a bitter spirit? If that's you, and there's an unsaved person in your, in your realm of influence, do you think that they want to be a part of that? Make sure that, that what's on the other side is something that is attractive. Make sure that it's Jesus. Make sure it's the peace and the joy and the love and the hope that only He can offer. And then the last takeaway tonight is this. The bridge always facilitates faster growth. The bridge always facilitates faster growth. I said earlier, we've done some hiking. We, we've hiked a little bit at the Grand Canyon. We hiked Mount Mitchell, which is the tallest mountain uh, east of the Mississippi River. Uh, and we were hiking that. We started up. Uh, honestly, if you see something, you go hiking, and it tells you it's going to be five hours, just plan on being in there ten hours, okay, because they lie about it, all right? Well, they said it was going to take us five hours, and it took us like, I think it was like eight hours. We got all the way to the top. And honestly, we knew we had to go all the way back down. I mean, we hiked from the base of the mountain. You know what You know what we wanted to do? We wanted to hitch a ride. We wanted to ask a complete stranger if they could drive us back down the mountain. Why? Because we wanted to be done with it. And we knew that taking the car down there would be, the, we'd get there a lot faster. You know, we see Paul here. And let me show you verse number 20, 28, if you would. Verse 27 is our text tonight. Verse 28 says this, And he was with them coming and going out of Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. And it goes on, and we understand what Paul accomplished in his life. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Some people say he was the greatest Christian to live. But you know what? I truly believe that Barnabas played an integral part in that. I truly believe that if Barnabas were not there that day to assist assist him to get to the other side, his growth would have been stunted a little bit. It would have been stopped. The bridge always facilitates faster growth. Without the New River Gorge Bridge, a 40-minute drive down and up the narrow mountain, with it, it takes less than 60 seconds. Much, much faster. And tonight, like I said, there are people right here in Liberal that maybe the last six months, they've been looking for hope. They've been looking to be a part of the family of God. They've been looking to be a part of a church family, a place where they can feel loved and welcomed and accepted. But you know what? Too many times, there's just no one there to assist them. There's not a bridge. And as you would be looking down to the new river from the top of that mountain, seeing almost 900 feet down and 3,000 feet across, I mean, that's a long ways. And sometimes, someone who's accepted Christ, and we don't know what God has done through the live stream ministry of fellowship. There could have been somebody who tuned in and watched live stream and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they saw what was happening on the internet, but they're thinking, I want to be a part of that. But maybe they're going to have to step out of their comfort zone. Maybe they have some heavy, heavy baggage. And maybe just looking at the other side is just too far away. It's too challenging. You know what they need? They need a Barnabas. They need someone who's going to be that bridge to the family. They need someone who's going to assist them to the other side. And again, every single one of us can be a Barnabas. I have a Bible college education. Honestly, that doesn't mean a whole lot. I'm not a Bible scholar. I like to study the Bible. But you know what? I don't care if you've only been a Christian for one month. I don't care if you've never read through the Bible. Every single one of us can be a Barnabas. And I promise you, there's people right here in Liberal looking for a Barnabas.